Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I would ask that the words that I speak, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. Amen. We've now spent four weeks in this series, Life in the Spirit. And it is my hope that you see how important it is to have life in the Spirit. That it's just not this incidental thing that we should do. That it is essential to who we are as believers, as followers of Christ Jesus. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, we have no faith, we have no strength, we have no ability to do anything pleasing unto God, to do anything in this ministry. And that's how important the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit is for each and every one of us for this church. And the thing is, it's not life in the Spirit apart from Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points you to Jesus, to Him. And in Him, through the Holy Spirit, we have a cry of freedom. We have a cry that we are sons and daughters. We can say, Abba, Father. And we have a cry of hope, of eternal, everlasting hope. This is what we have, and this is what is before us each and every day. It is a choice that we have to walk in the Spirit or to walk in the world. This choice that you and I have has been proclaimed for thousands of years. Go back to the Old Testament for a moment. I'm sure you've heard this one. This is from Joshua. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? This is what is before us each and every day in our journey, in our walk as followers of Jesus Christ, in our walk in the Spirit. And as followers, as disciples of Jesus, we're to have a particular mindset as we go about our day, making the choices. We are to set our minds upon the Spirit, on Jesus and His cross, which Pastor Shields really did a wonderful job of speaking to that last week, to have our minds set on Jesus and the cross, not on the flesh or the world. This has been kind of the theme that has run throughout this whole series so far. And it is a theme that has continued on in Paul's letter to the Galatians, or the church in Galatia, a large area. So the Galatians, and this is our reading that we had. It says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In non-theological terms, yowzer, right? That's quite a list, isn't it? I mean, he lists 15 things, you know, including sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. I mean, there's a lot. And then he says, and there are other things besides that his list isn't just limited to those things. But all of those things are opposed to the Spirit, are opposed to God, are opposed to Christ Jesus. And then it's a very sobering message at the end, at the bottom. For those who are not born again, for those who practice these things without any thought that they are sinful, without any thought that they are opposed to God, without any thought at all, but practice these things, Paul says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Put in very blunt terms, when they die, they will not wake up in heaven. It's a sobering thought, right? And I know it feels pretty heavy to start off a sermon, but that's kind of how it starts off, right? Gives this whole list. But it also should give pause to anybody who is a Christian in name only. Listen, if you or other people go to church on Sunday and then get drunk or have a bender on drugs the rest of the week, are you in Christ Jesus? Do you even know Him? Would that not just make you an unrepentant hypocrite? It's the same thing if you uh, gossip all the time. Because gossip sows dissension, envy, rivalry. It does all sorts of nasty things. And you can't go to church and then just do that the rest of the week, or even in church, because I'm sure you've been in churches where that's occurred. You can't do that and then think, well, Jesus is just going to give me a pass on that. You also can't say, I trust Jesus with my life, but then go to psychics, communicate with the dead, or practice witchcraft. By the way, there are people who say they are Christian witches, and those two are contradictory in terms. You can't do all of that because God has said he is opposed to all of that. And the sobering reality is, if you are a Christian in name only, go to church, but you just do the rest of that, you maybe don't even go to church. Just say, well, I trust Jesus, but you do all of those things. There is a very real chance at the day of judgment, Jesus will say, I never knew you. I mean, I know, this is sobering. 
But we have to deal with the hard stuff too, right? We can't just overlook it because God doesn't overlook it. But here's my question to you. Why would you ever want to do all of those things with the bountiful harvest, the fruit that is given to you for following Christ Jesus? Why would you ever trade the love, the joy, the peace, all of that for death, destruction, and sin? You see, when you walk in the Spirit, there is the fruit of the Spirit. There is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit. We should never give that up. Now, by the way, if you have, are, are in Christ Jesus, it doesn't mean that you won't be forgiven, right? Because in Christ Jesus, when you stumble and fall and you repent, you are forgiven. And thus the assurance of your salvation does not depend on how perfect you are, but how perfect Jesus is. So we repent and we are drawn ever closer to him and when we follow him, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Does this make sense so far? Okay. Now, anybody who has done any gardening or any horticulture or farming whatsoever knows that the fruit is the end product of everything that came before it. Right? It's the end product of everything that came before it. So you have to first till the soil, you plant the seed, right? And then you have to nurture the seed. You have to water it. You have to give it nutrients. It has to get the proper sunlight. You have to pick the weeds out of the garden so the plant is not choked. And at the end of all of that work comes the harvest or the fruit, right? So you have to do the work ahead of time. It's the same thing when it comes to our spiritual life. To get the fruit of the Spirit, there's a lot of things that happen beforehand. You have to have the seed of faith planted in you by the Holy Spirit. And then it has to be nurtured. It has to be watered by the Word of God. It has to be given the light of Christ Jesus shining on it. And you know what? I don't know about your garden, my garden, i got to pluck weeds. Same thing with my spiritual life. i got to pluck weeds along the way. And then there is the harvest, the fruit of the Spirit. You see, many people want the fruit of the Spirit without everything that must happen for the fruit to occur. The fruit of the Spirit is the end result of living your life in Jesus. And here's the marvelous thing that I've seen since I've been here. More and more people have been coming alive in the Spirit. And because they've been coming alive in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit shows up. Of love, of joy, of peace. All of those things. And it's been marvelous to see, but it happens not because we're trying to get the fruit. 
The fruit comes when you walk in Christ Jesus, when you walk in the Spirit. So for the next three weeks, I know the sermon started off pretty serious, right? I don't know. Right? You're all kind of like, come on, hurry up that. Believe me, I had to write it. I spent hours on that section. (laughs) You only had a couple minutes, so fair is fair, right? So for the next, today and the next three, two weeks following, we're going to spend time on the fruit of the Spirit. And today it is about love, joy, and peace. Everybody, okay, good. All right, so we're going to go with the gospel from John. And it is this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now at first glance, by the way, if you know scripture, this doesn't seem like a new commandment. I mean, you can actually go back to Leviticus. I know everybody's favorite book of the Old Testament, Leviticus. And it says this in chapter 19, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's all the way back in Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not a new commandment. I mean, even Jesus said this in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how is what he said a new commandment? Well, you have to think about it, especially in our day and age which is love is love is love is love, right? Love is whatever I think it means. And however I feel and whatever I do, I'm the standard of what love is, right? That's our society nowadays. Anything goes, if I declare it to be love, then it must be love. Now, as much as that's in our culture today, the standard of love boy, goes back all the way to the very beginning where we want to become the standard of what love is. But Jesus says it this way. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. And really what he's telling his disciples that he, Jesus, is the standard of, the measure of what love means. He is the standard, the measure by which we measure everything else regarding love. So how did he love us? I mean, that's a question, right? If he says, love one another just as I have loved you, you have to think, well then, how did he love us? Well, if we go actually to the letter of 1 John, so, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us 
and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So there's a couple things in here. It's really easy to love someone who loves you, right? I mean, well, not all the time, but mostly, right? It's much easier to love somebody you like or who likes you back. It's much harder to love an enemy, isn't it? So God so loved the world that he sent his only son, not because the world so loved him, but because he loved the world. So it wasn't this gushy, mushy feeling, oh, I just love the world. No, I love you so much, I'm going to send my precious son. And this word propitiation means to bear the wrath of God. See, on the cross, on the cross, which Pastor Shields talked so much about last week, Jesus wasn't just an example. He bore our sins and he bore the wrath of God on him. He took that wrath upon himself because of a love for you. How did Jesus love us? It was a self-sacrificial love, wasn't it? He gave himself for you. You see, true love, real love, the highest of love, is a sacrificial love. It is love that has great compassion for another even if they don't love you back. A a sacrificial love says, I will put aside my pride, my ego, my irritation, my frustration. I'll lay all that aside for you. For you. I'll lay it all aside. That's self-sacrificial love. That's the highest of love. That's how Jesus loved us. So how do you know that you're growing in that love, right? If that fruit of the Spirit is in you, love. It is compassion. To say that you have love but have no compassion is to say you don't love. As you grow in compassion, that love bubbles forth. It comes out of you. And you find yourself doing things because you have compassion upon another. And so maybe you pick up the phone when you haven't called them for a while and they're in distress. Or maybe it is for those who are homebound that you make a meal or that you visit them, or that you run an errand, or that you feed the hungry. You go to prison because you have compassion on those who are in prison, and you share the gospel with them. Compassion is what God had for us in Christ Jesus. That's the love. And that's the love that you and I are to have. So soften your heart. Pray to have greater compassion and you will have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And when you have that, listen up, 
when you have that, people will notice something different in you. And Jesus said, by that love, people will know that you are my disciples. This is the fruit of the Spirit of love. Then there's Joyce, or Joyce, rejoice. There's Joyce too. Hi, Joyce. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to hear about that one later on. But there is joy or rejoicing. And we're going to go from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Now, this message here is so counter to the age in which we live. When you take a look at the circumstances of the world right now, is there any rejoicing that goes on? No, right? I don't, I mean, I actually listed them in here, but I don't, I don't want to read them all because it's just depressing, isn't it? Everything that the news, the world talks about now is about despair, depression, a dark, bleak, bleak future, right? And yet, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You see, we are to actually rejoice in all circumstances. We are to rejoice in all circumstances, no matter what. If you remember, we did a whole series, and actually, I think it was right when COVID started. I don't remember the exact time, but it was from, we went through Philippians, and it was called Joy in Times of Trouble. And what you have to remember is that Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, and he was most likely waiting to be executed. And yet, the letter he wrote is one of the most joyous books of the Bible, because Paul wasn't focused on his circumstances. He was focused on something else. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. So what was he focused on? What was his laser focus? He was rejoicing in the Lord. The Lord remains forever. And so Paul was joyful because of what the Lord has done, what the Lord is doing, and what the Lord will do. So he is focusing with an eternal perspective. Look, you have friends and family who don't have that eternal perspective. And because of that, I'm going to guess a fair number of people you know are in despair. There's no light in their world. But you, with that hope, right? The eternal hope, the light of Christ Jesus, that eternal perspective, knowing that he is with you always. You can share that with them. This is about rejoicing. Now, one thing I want to let you know, that there is no true joy without thankfulness or gratitude. There is no true joy without thankfulness or gratitude. Just as there's no true love without compassion, there's no true joy without thankfulness or gratitude. 
Some of you uh, might recall that I've talked about a woman back in St. Paul, Minnesota, who every time I asked her, how are you doing? She would say, I'm thankful. Didn't, no matter what, how are you doing? I'm thankful. And so I said, well, why, why are you thankful? Because of what the Lord has done. So she was thankful. And you know, back then it was like, I don't quite get it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I understand the word she's saying, but I don't quite have that. You know, that, that thankfulness no matter what. I mean, something to aspire to, right? So as I've grown in my faith, I understand more and more what she's talking about. And a big thing for me, by the way, was last Thanksgiving, I gave a message about Thanksgiving. And uh, I really started to dig into Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and what that meant. And I saw the gratitude that he had for what the Lord has done for us in Christ Jesus. And I really, I started to be filled with gratitude in my life. No matter the circumstance. And I know a couple of you mentioned it, but it just like bubbled out. I couldn't help but being joyful. As a matter of fact, when I gave that message for the community, because for the ministerial, I was like a Baptist preacher, you know? I was like laying it all out there. Woo! (laughs) I was. It was pretty fun. But there's that joy that comes up because of gratitude and thankfulness. So cultivate gratitude in your life. And then there is peace. Actually, go on Paul's letter to the Philippians. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is something we all long for, isn't it? And if you've ever been a parent with children, or you heard your parents, they probably said something like, all I want is some peace and quiet. Yes, (laughs) we know that one, right? I just want a calmness for a moment away from the strife of everything else. And we also want that, don't we? We want that rest that peace. And yet, life keeps moving forward, doesn't it? And there's always the ups and downs. There's always something going around. And so how do we have that peace in the midst of circumstances? One thing, just as love and compassion go together, just as gratitude, thanksgiving lead to joy, Peace comes when there's assurance. Peace comes when there's assurance. In Romans chapter 8, at the very end of chapter 8, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Assurance that he is with us no matter what. So when Paul writes the words, the Lord is at hand, he means it. It's not just an intellectual thing. He actually means it. Now look, I know that's easier said than done. I know that. When having peace in all circumstances. Because look, when things are tight financially, or there's a strained relationship, or loss of job, or a loved one is about to die. It's hard to have peace in those situations. So what can we actually do then? Well, God has answered this. God has answered this. In Psalm 55, it says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. So how do you, how do you cast your burden upon the Lord? Well, you lift everything up in prayer. It says prayer and supplication. That's what Paul wrote about. Prayer and supplication. What's supplication? It just means appeal. So you're literally lifting everything up to the Lord in prayer. Everything. And you are trusting that He is sovereign and that He will hear your prayer. That He actually is in control and that everything works out according to His will and His plan and so that there's trust. And when there is trust in Him who is over everything, there's peace. There is peace. It says this, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you seek peace, seek the Lord. If you seek desire, if you desire rest from your anxiety, Know that the Lord is at hand. So sometimes you just got to get into a little quiet spot for a moment and literally give everything unto the Lord. Cast your burden unto Him. And when that happens, the promise comes. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. So for you this week, set your mind upon things of the Spirit. Choose you this day to follow the Spirit. And you can only do that by the Spirit's power, by the way. And focus on following Jesus. 
Don't chase after the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to chase after anything, chase after Jesus. Okay? And love. Read John 13. Grow in compassion for others. For joy, read Philippians. Cultivate gratitude. And for peace, read Philippians verses 4, 5 through 7. And be watered with the assurance of his word. Love, joy, peace. And all the people said, Amen.